Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech and Nick Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Reverman. Dean, have you ever worked in a warehouse? Yes, I have, have worked in a warehouse. Yes. Yeah, no, well, I've worked in our warehouse before. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But before know, that, my, I guess my warehouse, yeah, not a lot. Yeah, I'm always impressed by what the folks in warehouses do. Yeah, I know it's one of those jobs we don't think of as, you know, I mean, we know that it's important. Right. But I don't think people quite understand no. just the amount of effort yes. and work and I know All I'm probably the dirty too work soft. that's going on in the background <laughs> yeah. to make logistics and exactly. stuff like supply chain mm-hmm. happen. Exactly. Yes. I know I'm yeah. probably too soft to really do that kind of work. And to like you, I've kind of done a little bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. You know, some of my jobs yeah, yeah, yeah. where I like, went out and helped pick something or, you know, right. yeah. put together an order or something like that. But yep. yeah, n- yep. not the day to day grind no. that warehouses yeah. go through or that yeah. workers go yeah. through. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, hey, I'm sure they would appreciate making their work a little bit easier. A yes. Little, a little more efficient for that yes, matter, too. You know, it's absolutely. not necessarily about being easy, but about, hey, can we make them more efficient, efficient yes. in our modern, you know, heavy duty supply chain? That's right. Right here, right now kind of world. That's right. Uh, and that's where a little technology can help out, in particular, automation. Yes. So that's that's our topic today. Buzzword getting, in the we're, industry. We're, yes. we're getting into a discussion about warehouse automation, some mm-hmm. of the stuff that makes it happen. Mm-hmm. We're kicking that off by starting off by talking a little bit about Zebra and their uh, their warehousing automation, their, their warehousing vision study, study that yeah. they put out every Good year. study. Yep. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got uh, Andre Luke with us today, along with John Claire. They're going to give us a little bit of insight into that survey, what it's, it means. They know a lot more details. about warehouse than you yeah, and I. You know, do. it's, it's yeah. kind of their life, what they live in. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about again about you know what they're seeing in the market right now with you know the size and the, mm-hmm. the scope of warehouses and what's changing or not, what expectations are. Nice. We're going to talk about sensor-based technology because that's a big part of ah. what's happening in warehouses and apparently a big growing aspect yes. of it. That, yes. You know, if you're a var, you might want to get involved in that right now. It's yeah, you think? Probably something that would be important to you. Yep. We're going to talk about the software angle of yep. warehouses, yep. and then we're going to get into some of the ways to come, you know, to help out again with that labor issues and the, the efficiency and all that kind of stuff. We got so. enough time for all this? I think so. Okay. All yeah. right. If, again, if Marco's going to like flag yeah, us early. That's just it. If we go over, you know, he'll no, just we get got a lot in the to background. Talk about. This is we'll good. keep doing it anyway. So yep. all that plus our usual value to the VAR. What's tech connecting with us? It's time to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. As I mentioned, our guest today, first of all, we have from Zebra, who thankfully is sponsoring this episode and recommended both of these fine folks to us. Andre Luke is the uh, global strategy lead for transport, logistics, and warehouse. I think he's got the credentials to have this conversation. (laughs) Andre, welcome to the show. Tell us a little more about yourself, your background, and and what your day-to-day is like at Zebra. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I uh, joined Zebra about uh, four years ago from the other side of the desk, the side that I would actually acquire and buy a lot of uh, warehouse automation and um, um, warehouse technology for that matter. I've done that for the last 20 years before someone felt it necessary to uh, to get me and drag me into a, uh, a provider kind of role. Um, the, the, the industry is... Um, is changing. It's changing rapidly. We've seen all this uh, during during COVID. Um, the uh, my role in particular is one that looks into the future. My role is one that looks into what are the problems that um, that uh, our customers 
or the industry in, as a whole will need to solve a couple of years from now. Now, a couple of years from now is actually coming a lot faster than we thought it would. So um, the innovation cycle that we've seen uh, during COVID and post-COVID has made it necessary to accelerate some of those uh, those developments, and that is primarily my role within Zebra. Very yeah, nice. Uh, yep. As always, a lot of uh, stuff that happened during COVID that suddenly became right? yes. now instead now. of yeah. the future at that uh, point. So, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Our other guest is John Clare Jr. He is the senior VP of Software Solutions for High Tech Intra Logistics. John, welcome to the show. Same question for you. Tell us a little about your background and what your day to day is like at High Tech. Sure, guys. And uh, first, thank you for uh, inviting me to to be part of this. Um, I've been in the supply chain and logistics space since 1986, so that kind of tells you how old I am. <laughs> uh, but certainly in all those years, um, like everybody that's been around, uh, I've seen a ton of stuff happen, a, a constant evolution of what we do. And I couldn't agree more with what Andre said, that the, the, the pace of the automation and the progression of the actual automation itself uh, is has never been as fast as it is today, and it does seem to only be picking up speed. I think a good example of that is, you know, go back four years ago to a big show like a Promat or a Modex. You might have seen 20, 25% of the participants doing something in some kind of robotics today or next next spring down in Atlanta. Uh I, I, at least 50%, maybe as much as 75% of the companies are going to be dealing with this advanced automation. So uh, in my role at Hitech, uh, prior to becoming part of Hitech, I was with a company called FastCore. FastCore was a software development house that focused on warehouse management, transportation management, um, worked with companies all over North America. And over the last four or five years, we saw a lot of things changing. We saw a need for us to be integrating with third parties all, all the time with this automation. Uh, so we were looking to kind of, I guess, spread our wings a little bit more. And we found an opportunity in, in high tech to become part of an organization that really in many respects or most respects is a one-stop shop for supply chain technologies, whether that's consulting, traditional material handling systems, uh, advanced automation robotics, including goods to persons and AMRs, uh, and then our software piece. So we can go into clients and work with them on everything from an assessment all the way through the completion and delivery of a product and then the long-term support. Uh, so we've been part of high tech a little over two, uh, I guess a little under two years right now. Uh, but let me tell you, those two years have been a whirlwind. Uh, opportunities, the, the things that keep coming at us in terms of new automation that we're constantly assessing and evaluating. Um, uh, it actually makes it fun because uh, I think, the opportunity for companies, whether it's Zebra or us, is only getting bigger and bigger to help companies in warehousing and distribution. There you go. Nice. Yep. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've got two pros here that uh, yes. <laughs> have the history. <laughs> like and I said, you, you, you and I can just kick back uh, and ask I, the questions. I know. That's, and, yeah, that's, all right. yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. goal here. Yeah. It out like, here yeah. I, this is one of those episodes where I'm like, I'm not going to add a lot of extra notes myself <laughs> because these guys are going to do the job for me. Uh, Very nice. So, so let's get into that. Let's talk about automation. And, and, and I think a great place to start here is, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll drop a link to this in our show notes, but the, the 2023 warehousing vision study that Zebra puts out every year, mm-hmm. always an interesting read, always some fascinating statistics about what's happening in the world of supply chain and distribution warehouses. And I I think, you know, this year's, I think, had some very interesting 
interesting highlights that I wasn't quite expecting. And I want us to kind of talk a little bit about some of those. And Andre, I'll let you kick us off here because uh, one of the things I noticed early on in the survey is this note that uh, that despite their contracting numbers of facilities and average size over the last year or so, there's still a lot of optimism for the future and a lot of expectations that things are going to change. A couple statistics I want to highlight in particular is that the survey respondents said that 19% expected an increase in facility size over the next, what was that, a uh, few years or so? Mm-hmm. Or in, by 2028. Or, by 2028, there yep. you go. And that 39% expected an increase in the number of facilities. So Whereas there may have been some contraction, mm-hmm. we're clearly looking to expand back out again, and there's expectations that growth is right around the corner. So why why do you think we're seeing that contraction currently in the present, but there's such strong growth expectations over the next five years? Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. And um, I looked at that myself and I had to scratch my head for a minute. Uh, so first off, as to the, the study itself, we're doing this regularly. We asked about 1,500 um, uh, warehouse operators to to give us a response to some of the most pressing questions as they relate to choosing technology or investing in technology in that space. So um, with, with that kind of uh, sample size, it is it is fairly representative. So uh, as for the um, the the outcome, we, what we see right now, it's 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 not an easy time to be a warehouse operator right now. Um, we have, and, and that came out in this in this study, we might have overbuilt in some areas. In order to get closer to the customer, um, a lot of operators have put in um, their where put their warehouses into suburbia. Well, in, in order to to fulfill within a day, fulfill within two days, that is uh, minimizing the distance. That is probably helpful. However, you're paying suburbia prices for not only your labor, but also your rent and leases, et cetera. So um, having said all that, um, we're currently probably at, um, what, 75% utilization, where usually you want to be above 85% utilization in the warehouses. But um, cost of capital is high. Labor is, if it is available, is it is uh, expensive. So right now, and that was the interesting part, right now, a lot of the warehouse operators are looking at their current footprint and um, realizing that going forward, we all believe that there's going to be a rebound of the economy, um, that going forward, a business model that is based solely on the availability of labor is not going to be scalable. So right now, everyone is pausing, looking at what they have and trying to find out whether or not they can um, right size or or, uh, optimize the technology footprint by investing more in technology, being less dependent on labor. Now, why do we see a bit of a contraction is uh, primarily based on some macroeconomic factors. Post-COVID, everyone is trying to... um, trying to, uh, well, actually during COVID, we had a very high volume increase based on everyone having everything shipped to their doorstep. Now, people going back to brick and mortar stores, starting to spend their money on travel, on restaurants, etc. So that that's huge spike that we had in volumes during COVID. Post-COVID has come back to uh, more normalized numbers. And that is why we have um, an, an issue with the utilization of the now slightly enlarged uh, warehouse footprint. But eventually that is going to come back. And that's what the story said. Everyone is uh, planning to invest in, in or invest more 
and faster in technology because the, there is a serious doubt in the market that labor is not going to come back to the extent that it was available in the past. And we, and I think we saw that. I think Andre hit the the nail on the head. You know, I can remember back. You know, just just two years ago, yes. two, this wasn't that long ago, which feels like twenty years. It sure. feels, yeah. absolutely <laughs> does. But I mean, like California was full. They didn't right. have there was no warehouse space, and so right. even Las Vegas was filling up. And and we had a warehouse out there, and and the, and the price was going through the roof on warehouse yeah. because yeah. of the whole bullwhip effect. You know, you we were going through, through the pandemic. Everybody ordered up. All those orders now started coming in. Yep. Demand softened and now you have you know excess warehouse you have all these things around here but as it started to dissolve now you have excess warehouse space so it was, it was really fascinating to go through and see the whole bullwhip but i agree with andre and obviously the study uh, verifies it that you know there's a leveling out now right, uh, and right. then we'll get back to normal yeah. uh, in which obviously is, is is some growth that that'll be happening there and andre as you were talking about and in this study it, it says you know when when you look at it, because it, it, it's fascinating, the, and Blue Star is not immune to this. We are exactly in that mode of of analyzing. Okay, w- what kind of technology do we use, and what what do we need to do to modernize our facility? And so the study says that 73% have accelerated timelines on modernizing projects. So I think that speaks to it, right, Andre? That, that hey, you know, warehouse managers, warehouse facilities are taking that pause, looking at what they have, maybe accelerating these timelines, as you both have commented, on, on modernizing the, the gear, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, uh, twofold, there's, there's, the, um, there's a physical automation that's on the robotic side that we're going to hear about from, from John a bit later. And then there's the decision automation as to the people that do show up, can we make them productive? Can we help them perform their tasks better? And that is, that is the second aspect. So the investment is going to go into both. And um, the within the decision automation, and there's a there's an uh, aspect here that speaks to visibility and data capturing that doesn't require anyone doing anything. So so automatic data capturing, sensor based data capturing, and that is something that we see a lot of because um, it it takes about what 28, uh, 30 days to turn a, a, a staff associate. Uh, into a uh, productive um, um, uh, warehouse worker. And if we can shorten that time by giving them the right tools, um, a lot of the warehouse operators are trying to accelerate the time frame and make their work a bit more meaningful for the people that do actually decide to pursue a career in, in warehouse operations. John, are you seeing the same kind of you know optimism out there for this increased size of facilities, number of facilities growing? You know, is that what you're hearing as well? Yeah, um, I, I, I would not disagree with anything Andre said. Yes, that's, those trends are very real out there. But it's an interesting time because within that same conversation, there's a lot of companies out there, probably more than mid-market, okay? But there's a lot of companies that aren't really looking to build new facilities. They're just simply looking for ways to maximize their current facilities um, because of that cost of capital because it does cost so much to open a new warehouse and with that, with that labor issue as a background. So when you look at some of the, the technologies that are out there, uh, ones like goods to persons, two of the big advantages, three, the three big advantages really on goods to persons technologies is speed, density, and utilization of the space, because they can typically go higher up into the warehouse 
than a lot of traditional automation could and certainly where humans could go. So now if we got a building, you know, sitting there and it's got an extra 15, 20 feet above them that's not being used, that's usable space in today's day and age because of the technology. So that's that's helping companies eliminate the need to spend that capital by investing in the automation, but they're also obviously realizing all the benefits, uh, other benefits that you get aside from just the utilization of space. Um, you know, I think you guys are a good example. Uh, if you look at the progression of Blue Star over since you know 2018, when we started working with you, uh, the whole first volley of that was just the software. Get everything under control. And, and, and the pieces that Andre's talking about, the data is real, especially now that we have AI, which give us great feedback, but AI needs data. <laughs> it needs lots of data. And the ability of systems to collect that data, manage the data, create visibility, as well as create good processes within organizations, oftentimes becomes the foundational piece that allow them to take the next steps to really take advantage of the automation. So it's a, it's a highly interconnected conversation. It's not a one size fits all and anytime. Uh, it's incredibly dynamic. And like I said before, uh, with the entry of new technology every day, literally, I think, uh, the options just become, you know, more and more. You know, I know Zebra continues to evolve their product line and add capabilities and, and uh, different types of solutions. Uh, that that's that's the norm, and that's that's going to continue too. John, I really appreciate the idea of, you know, building up can be just as important as building out, out or yeah, building right, more. Yes, I mean, for sure. If you got the space, utilize it. I mean, that's, and that's, yeah. I mean, that can be what it's all about in a warehouse sometimes is just yeah. the, that space. You know, that's the whole point of you build these things. What, how much can we fit and how much can we do within that space yeah. that we have? If it's under roof, us, it's so. available space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Before we go on to yeah, sensors. Sure. Oh, go ahead, John. When you, when you do that with the right automation, yeah, it might break now and then but it doesn't call in sick. <laughs> it doesn't take holidays. Um, you can sometimes double or triple your output because that's that, that automation can run two and three ships. Okay. It's, it, it's a different world today than it was even four or five years ago. John, real quick question on the addressable market. And Andre, maybe you could comment here too, because we've, we've talked about in the past that you know, getting down into the SMB level or the small warehouse, whether it's manufacturing or whatever it is, you know, there's still a lot of people out there that have zero automation. In yeah. fact, they have zero barcode scanning capabilities yeah. or anything like that. They're using Excel. They're using clipboards and stuff like that. And and now I'm talking really small operations. But are you guys starting to see the sophistication of, of the modern warehouse drill down even to the SMB level at this point in time? I mean, you know, it's not, well, I guess there is a certain amount of still CapEx or, or that needs to be put into place. And so, you know, the money may not be there, but but is it starting to get down into the SMB space or are we uh, still I, talking the large I, guys? No, absolutely. It, it, it goes from the big guys down to the small guys now for a lot of reasons. Um, a lot of the technology is more affordable. Um, most software today can be uh, purchased as a subscription, so they don't have this capex upfront investment. They can they can actually, in a lot of cases, with subscriptions, write it off as an operational expense. So, from an accounting perspective, that's that's a, a significant difference for companies. Um, 
I think more companies today too just simply understand that to compete. And, and let's face it, anybody that's out there that's a B2C, they're competing against Amazon. Okay. Whether they like it or not, they are. And Amazon sets the bar uh, in terms of speed and pricing and being able to get it to me, you know, quickly without charging me an arm and a leg. So for, for companies to thrive, whether they're a little guy, midsize or, or big, they, they have to be able to deal with the same variables, the same factors uh, that, that the big guys do every day. So the need for automation is, is big. I would say the other piece that's that's definitely changed a lot is, you know, behind the warehouses, obviously the business ERP systems. And the proliferation of ERP systems, the progression of ERP systems, and their ability to work and integrate with WMS systems as well as automation uh, puts it in the reach of a lot more companies than it used to be. So uh, I, can, I can tell you point blank in our world from a sales perspective, uh, we're looking primarily at the mid and the high end, but we got plenty of opportunities that are small deals because maybe this is a little selfish, but we understand quite well that a small deal right now that's software driven, that helps a company establish standards and processes, reduce costs, they become potentially a lifetime customer for us because they're going to be the people buying the automation two and three years down the road. That's right. Yeah. They're going to be putting in the robots and things of that nature yeah. down yeah. the road. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Uh, Andre, just over there. Yeah. Just, I would echo what, what uh, John said. I think it's less of a small, medium, large. Of course, there will always be some of the, the, the companies, maybe a handful that are ahead of the technology curve or developing their own technology for that matter. But it's less of a size than more of a uh, what market are you playing in? If you're in e-commerce fulfillment, uh, yes, uh, the bar has been set by um, by uh, some of the large ones. And then you have to play there. If you want to be successful, it's a one-day turnaround or whatever, measured in hours. If, you, if you're operating a cross-stock that deals in utility poles, probably less so. Right, so in in there in, in within that spectrum, uh, you find multiple opportunities to to um, optimize your your footprint and and your your technology use, but the 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 warehouse operators that deal with uh, fulfillment are on the forefront of um, the technology because they employ more people. Um, a picking operation requires two to three to maybe four times more people than um, a, a normal cross dock or warehouse operation would require. So therefore, they were the first ones to look into all kinds of robotic automation, all kinds of um, uh, assisted decision making, all kinds of uh, um, efficiency improvement of the existing workforce. So that's it's I, I personally would think it's more of a. Uh, specific use case than the size of the organization. If you're not able to compete with uh, some of the large um, uh, online retailers, then you might as well uh, uh, look into uh, slower moving uh, items than than competing in. My expectation hasn't changed. I want it tomorrow. Actually, I want it today. So I don't really care where I order from. And I think the same is with uh, the same happens to to most consumers. Um, it's, I, I think the other thing, guys, that, that we've already touched on a number of times in this conversation, uh, the small guys are facing the same labor issues as the big guys. Finding people, retaining people, training them, you know, getting them on board faster and faster. Um, those issues are just as real for a small organization 
as they are for the big guys. Obviously, a different order of magnitude, but they got to find solutions to help them address that question and that issue. So, um, uh, everybody out there, I think, is in play to some extent. in this food chain. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Well, Andre, you mentioned sensor-based technology earlier. And something else the studies show is that implementing things like RFID, temperature monitors, smart labels, it's all the kind of stuff that warehouse decision makers are expecting to increase over the next year dramatically. Right, yeah. Again, a couple of quick stats around that. When asked about some of these, you know, where they thought they'd be, 81% said they planned to increase the implementation of Passive RFID tags and sensors, 71% said passive RFID handheld readers and mm-hmm. devices and sleds, 67% industrial scanning, fixed industrial scanning, 67% temperature monitoring, 64% <laughs> machine vision, and 61% 3D sensors. All those were up two times or more, sometimes even three times as much. Over the prior as year. what they had just said for this year's yeah, study. That's so, crazy. Uh, that's a, a pretty huge, huge change, obviously, in attitudes and expectations about implementing this new kind of technology. And I think we've kind of seen that because I know mm. every time I'm you know, mm-hmm. looking at stuff that Zebra's talking about, it feels like sensor-based technology yeah, is right. becoming a bigger, bigger part of their discussion when it comes to where It's complicit in the, in the solution. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Andre, what do you think, what's leading that movement and how can Bars capitalize on that. It sounds to me like there's some good new opportunities there. Yeah. So just um, I think we, we cannot discuss this um, preference for sensor-based technology without discussing the, the, the labor shortage. Um, if, if you are dependent on the motion, uh, the motivation or the capability of a short-term employee to data capture your data, you might actually find yourself with some gaps in, in uh, providing a, a holistic view as to where things are or should be. So um, a lot of this is driven by the fact that there's a very uh, high uh, labor turnovers in some areas up to 100%. Um, and uh, those passive uh, data capturing um, methods will work no matter what. You, you, whoever is operating, the data is still being captured, is being captured in real time, is being captured. Um, um, in its entirety. So that is a gap you can close. Why is that important? The requirement for visibility has increased significantly over the, over the uh, last couple of years in that without knowing where your inventory is, how much you have or where it should be, uh, all downstream um, um, optimization efforts are going to be flawed. I can give you a, a personal experience, if if you don't mind. If if you um, if you look into ordering a particular pair of sneakers that you like, the f- e-commerce front end might suggest that there are two left, and you better hurry up to get them. Either order them online or go to the store and pick them up. Now, marry that with an inventory accuracy of seventy-five percent in the warehouse. There could be 400 pairs of sneakers left, or there could be 800 on back order. You just don't know. But it's the, the front end would suggest we have this specificity available, whereas the back end, and that's why the investment in visibility technology, such as sensor um, uh, sensors or um, sensor-based data capturing, without that visibility, you just don't know. And if you don't know, then your promises to the customers might be... Might be uh, Flawed. So um, that is something that 
is is driving the uh, adoption of uh, sensor-based technology. The fact that it's hands-off, people can use both hands to to do something, move something around, and an, an RFID tag or um, a, um, uh, a fixed scanner can can capture the data. That is helping. And then the fact that um, uh, this it usually works faster, a lot faster than if it's done manually by a person, and the person would probably need to be um, trained. So the, 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 the challenge is not necessarily that the uh, traditional way of capturing data is flawed. It's, it's more like we don't have the people to do this anymore. Um, there might be a lot fewer people on the shop floor than we want to, so we still need the data, and we need more data. We need it more precise, and um, we, in, in order to make promises to the customer, therefore, there's a lot of investment in, in RFID or um, fixed industrial scanning or any other um, uh, data capturing that is that is automatic. Now, some of these require multiple components, and that would be going to your question as to how, how can... Uh, uh, um, uh, participate here. Bundling this, making this attractive to um, to a potential customer, and then one thing that for me is a is a bit of a, a pet peeve is help the customers assemble an ROI, and and that is something that is absolutely critical. Um, whether it's a calculator, whether you do this one on one, but every single person in a warehouse setting right now is struggling to put some pen to paper to convince their superiors or their um, uh, board, whatever it is, to um, to um, uh, provide the funds to invest. So if you can support them with a proper ROI calculator that uh, still shows the benefit, I think that would be a, um, a smart move. And a bundling of the solutions thereof, right? Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. I mean, it, these are complex systems. John, your thoughts around, uh, are you seeing, I mean, obviously you've been implementing sensors and things of that nature. It's complicit to the, the whole solution, right? It, it, it all comes back to data. It, whether it's coming from a sensor or RF device, um, a robot, it's, it's about capturing that data and leveraging it to be able to certainly look historically but also to look real time about what's happening in the now, but then to take that data and be able to project that forward so that they can uh, you know, have, have a roadmap. Uh, two of my favorite sayings are, if you're not measuring things, you can't fix them, okay? If you don't have the data, you won't be able to ultimately make that much of an improvement. The other one is um, your roadmap is in your data. <laughs> if you look at your data and you really understand it, and you, and you break it down right, um, that will tell you in a lot of cases where you need to go, whether that's skew tendencies, whether that's uh, physical plant data about where we're moving, whether that's human data about who's performing well and who's not. That's Those are, those are the, the different areas where that data can, can be incredibly insightful and helpful. And, and, Quite honestly, allow companies to change on a more frequent basis how they operate versus being locked in to one one size fits all. Um, you know, one thing that when Andre was talking a few minutes ago, when uh, when COVID hit, there were a lot of companies out there that were traditional B two B. That's all they did. All they did was ship out pallets or big orders, and then overnight they were faced with a need to be able to do. Not only that, but now B2C. 
And, and a lot of them were unprepared for that and didn't have systems in place that gave them the flexibility to go in different directions rapidly and quickly. Um, and, you know, I think the norm today is going to be more and more companies are going to have a mix of shipment types versus being just one size. And that puts even more pressure on organizations to have software and the technology to be able to support that with all these other considerations, capital expenditures, uh, labor as the backdrop that they have to work within in terms of the sandbox. Yeah, good point. Yeah, definitely. Well, John, I want to move the next question on to you in particular here because decision makers in this survey and the associates both expressed frustration around expectations when it comes to order accuracy on time, every time. Again, mm. we've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. We know yeah. we're in this. Andre said it earlier. I want it. I don't want it tomorrow. I want it today. I want right. it. That's right. I, there's something I want. I want it as absolutely soon as possible. So in the survey, associates said 79% are concerned about managing workloads and high stress levels to meet productivity goals. And meanwhile, 81% of decision makers overall agree that missed SLAs pose a tremendous financial mm. burden and must be addressed quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So obviously this stuff is very top of mind. They understand that the demand is there. And you, you got to meet the demand or you're just you're not going to get the orders and you're not going to get the business that mm -hmm, you want out of it. Mm -hmm. So talk about some of those pain points, John. You know, what do you see out there? What kind of challenges do you see to make this happen and explain how the modern warehouse, how the software, the automation? And I know you've you know, talked a little bit about the robotic side of things. How is that helping ease this issue with these SLAs and the, the workloads and the stress on the workers? Yeah. Um, again, there's no one specific answer to that question, but there's a bunch of pieces that all kind of funnel together. Um, I want to go back to something Andre said when he was talking about inventory levels of inaccuracy and, and what that does. Uh, work puts out annual metrics about the top performers and benchmarks in different functional areas of warehouse operations. And, and they're one for order accuracy. To be in the top 20% of companies you have to have an accuracy level of 99.7 or above, okay? Being the top 20%. The difference, especially as you start to scale up in bigger companies with bigger SKU proliferations than they've ever had, um, the difference between 99.7 and 99 is huge, much less if they are back in the, in the low 90s or, or even worse. So, it all starts there. Do you have systems in place that tells you where it is, directs people to the right places so that we don't have dead time, that we don't have mispicks? The, 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 the foundation has to be there. From a user perspective, um, again, Andre said, it's about putting tools in their hands that make their, their job better, that increase their satisfaction and make them want to stay. Um, we're always looking at trying to refine our software. How do we make it more user-friendly? How do we adapt? Um, the, the more simplified we can make it, the better it's going to be for, for the end users and the happier they're going to be. I actually had one customer tell me once, and I, I, this one kind of caught me off guard. He said, once they put our system in, one of the unforeseen uh, benefits was that it gave their, their shop floor, their warehouse floor employees, more mobility within their organization because they actually could tell who was really performing. <laughs> and, and, and those people knew it. Good people, I don't care whether in the warehouse, in the front office, back, 
Good people want to be good and good people want to know they're performing at a high level. So the ability of systems to give cut, give users uh, this kind of immediate response and feedback is critical. Um, you walk in most of our customers, I think Blue Star, you guys have it out there. You'll see data monitors throughout the warehouse that are being driven by our software. And generally speaking, those are going to be departmentalized. So inbound, outbound, bulk picking, each picking. If we have an automation area where we're using robotics, we'll have one there just for that. Um, that's all about empowering the operators, both at the management level, but the execution level with the data. They want to know what's coming. They want to know, are they on pace? Um, and I'll tell you the other part about this that, that I think some companies miss out is the opportunity to tie that performance when you're measuring it right to their comp plan, where you actually use it to incent the customer, okay, with that data. Um, I'm sorry, incent the employees with that data. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge motivator, huge motivator. And it's, it's, it's ultimately a way that you retain a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, did that answer your question? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, the the couple terms that came out of this today, human-centered automation for workers, right? I mean, I think that, that that's kind of like as you comb through what's what's happening here, humans aren't leaving the space, right? I think John just did a good job of painting a picture of how automation can help benefit. And if, if incentives are properly aligned, mm-hmm. you can make the warehouse as efficient as it possibly can be at this point in time. And I think that's obviously that's where we're getting to, right? That right. human-centered automation. Automation uh, type of a thing. It's really, really kind of fascinating. One one thing I want to throw out because again, when you think about it, you know, 10, 20 years ago, that what what is happening, you know, logistics are all front of house now with, with Amazon and people's expectations have just changed. Even if right. you're B2B, I mean your ex, your expectations are different. Like my wife works for a very small company. Uh, it's all B2B, right? But they have a warehouse and they deliver flags and and, and giant inflatables and stuff like that. What even their customers are not immune to the Amazon effect, right? right? I mean, well, everyone expects there. to know what they're when they're going to get it, how yes. long it's going to take, what Absolutely. the shipping time is. Whereas once upon a time, you just ordered something and like, well, it'll get here eventually. Yeah. And yeah, now yeah. the expectation is, hey, I need to know when I'm placing this order exactly how long it's going to take, and it mm-hmm. better take that amount of time or be faster, yeah. or else I don't like you guys anymore. You know? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now you're losing customers right. because of it. But I mean, the whole back of house logistics that nobody really even cared about. Right. Well, retail and hospitality, it's it's so much easier to talk about that because nobody was concerned. You just went to you just went to Macy's or whatever, right. and if it was on the shelf, it was on the shelf. Right. You weren't really concerned about the back of house and how it actually got there. But uh, it's just fascinating how. All that is now visible. We've in all fr- become in supply chain specialists. <laughs> right. At least we think we have. Yeah. We're immunologists because of uh, COVID, <laughs> and now we're supply chain uh, specialists. But exactly. one area that I think is returns, you know, I, I when you think about the overall user experience and things of that nature, and John, maybe this gets to your point of what you talked about earlier, you know, you're starting to see consolidation where companies are buying companies because, you know, they might have specific areas of expertise. But to your point, you know, companies now need holistic uh, solutions that are not just getting the orders, you know, the materials in and the orders out, but also returns management and things of that nature that they really weren't even concerned about. Right, John? Uh, absolutely. You know, I was, I was going to say with, with the introduction of so much automation too, and you're right, the people part, that's not going to go away. It, it's going to shrink, but it's not going to ever go away. Um, so now we have a little bit more complexity in that warehouse. We got two different assets that we're trying to manage and balance. 
and maximize the throughput of both of them, not just either one. So a lot of times that's that's where a product like ours really becomes valuable for customers because um, they they humans aren't going to be able to sit there and make fast enough decisions about where do I move resources? How do I prioritize orders? How do I sequence these so that they get on the trucks properly? How do I take that inbound return goods and move it through the warehouse without interrupting other stuff that might be a little bit more critical at that point in the day versus later in the day? Those are those are all real-time decisions every every operator in a warehouse today is dealing with. I think the other thing that people are going to see over the next four or five years, and Andre, I'd be curious if you agree with this. Um, today, when I look at the opportunities that, that we're working on at high tech, probably over 50%, maybe as much as 60 or 65, have some form of robotic automation at the heart of the, the conversation. A lot of those are goods to persons or picking solutions. Um, and usually today, that conversation focuses around one OEM, one vendor as the primary provider of that technology. I think in four or five years, because no product out there, whether it's a software product or a hardware product, no one product is ever going to do everything we need it to do. We're going to have to leverage multiple technologies, multiple automations. I think in four, five, six years, the conversation is going to be as much or more about how do I manage two different robotic systems within my warehouse that are doing two different things? Those may both be coming from the same vendor, or they may be coming from two vendors now that each have their own you know, mobility platform and, and, and control system. So the, 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 the level of software capability is going to continue to grow that these companies need. And that was one of the reasons we became part of high tech. When you look at our product today um, in this space, there's three big W's. There's WMS, which is kind of the high level overall warehouse management system. On the other end of the spectrum, there's WCS, which is warehouse control. And that's that's your, 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 your conveyors and sortation systems. A lot of the traditional mechanization. And then in the middle, there's this piece that everybody refers to as WES, warehouse execution software. And warehouse execution software is primarily about two things. One is connecting all these automation into those other two pieces and optimizing all the transactions, all the assets that we have under one singular view. Okay. So when you look at our product today versus where it was two or three years ago, we now support all three of those pieces. So when we go into a customer, they like the idea that they're investing in a solution that maybe today they're only using our WMS because that's where they are today, but they know things are gonna change. They know in a year or two years, they're gonna have to consider automation. Uh, and if they have the right platform, they have the right partners in place. Um, and we, we like to think, you know, if they have a partner like us that can bring a bunch of things to the table versus just one sliver, that kind of minimizes sometimes the number of partners they need to work with. Uh, that's a that's usually a good, a really good thing for customers. It gives them a lot of confidence. It, it tells them that some of the risk in this gets mitigated and they can now set their vision ahead because they know they got the foundational pieces in place. Andre, your thoughts? Yeah, so just let me start with the... Um the returns um, question or, or comment. 
I, uh, we as a, as a company, we've been looking into this space as well because it's not going to go away. If, if you want to uh, you order a pair of shoes and by now the systems will tell you that someone ordered the same size shoe with four different colors, there's a likelihood that three will go back. That's exact. That's my household, by the way, Andre, because, you know, three dresses are bought. <laughs> Only one's going to get worn. Two are going to be returned. Go ahead. Yeah. So so the sooner and that's why this whole thing becomes a more of a supply chain issue or opportunity for that matter. The sooner you make the determination on the return leg, whether something is broken and needs to be thrown out, whether something needs to be reconditioned and needs to go to a warehouse where they fix it, whatever, if it's fixable, or whether something is brand new, unopened inventory and can go back into your, your inventory system, the sooner you make that determination in the supply chain, um, the more you save on return transport legs, for instance. If you if you send it all to a centralized warehouse to that usually does your reconditioning and there they throw it out, you've just incurred all the transportation costs to move what in essence is uh, something that, that uh, trash for that matter. Right. So on the return, like the sooner you make that determination and you've seen some people successful in this environment, making that determination a bit earlier. So that's number one. It's more of a supply chain opportunity than it is, I think, than it is one that relies to. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I still agree with, with John. If this is all happening under one roof, you have to have the path to not to disrupt outbound shipments, obviously. But that, that would be the one on that. On the other point that, that John made, I see the same thing. I see the need in a couple of years for a stronger orchestration of all technology in the warehouse. Whether this is a, a, an AMR, whether this is a smart conveyor, whether this is, or those are um, um, employees with um, uh, smart uh, uh, devices in their hands, that orchestration Whoever is going to be able to provide that orchestration is going to uh, be the, uh, the early uh, success story. As in, in, I don't really know where this is going to come from. Everyone is, is putting their heads together and trying to figure out, is it going to come from an AMR provider? Is it going to be a software play? Is it a pure play software? Is it coming from a WMS, uh, ERP provider, um, a TMS provider, whatever it may be? But it is, and I fully agree, that is something that going forward um, will provide a lot of uh, benefits because not everyone buys all their technology or all their automation from just one vendor. Um, imagine a 3PL environment where um, you have multiple WMS under one roof, multi-tenant environments. Uh, someone prefers one robotic vendor over the next, etc. So coordinating this and then tracking what task was performed with what kind of technology, um, activity-based costing, whatever you want to do, uh, that will become uh, crucial going forward. And in that layer, that orchestration layer, I think uh, we'll see a lot of um, uh, opportunity going forward. Fascinating. Hey, Dean, yeah. Dean, yeah. You know, I apologize. I, I didn't really directly answer your returns. I w let me give you one example, though, of where this world's moving. Mm -hmm. We do, we have two large customers that have very high return operations, high in the sense of transaction rates, um, thousands and thousands a day. Okay, um, 
what both of those companies are actually doing is using some of the robotic technology, the, the goods to person stuff, to allow them to receive that product in, make the disposition that uh, we were just talking about in terms of whether it's broken or it's unopened. Okay. They record that. The, the goods to persons robot takes that bin that we just threw it into and goes and puts it away. The next time we get that same product in, that bin gets pulled out, we put it in there. They're literally using the robotic system to do all the storage as well as the sortation of and separation of that return product. And then we constantly are monitoring those bins so that when that bin hits a certain threshold, then it moves to the next station or the next uh, transitional area in terms of how they're going to process that. Maybe they box it up and they ship it to a, you know, a, a discounter. Maybe they send it back to a different group that does repackaging. Uh, but the automation is absolutely coming even into that area of, this, of, of these companies and, and, and at a pretty rapid pace. I think, I think today most of that is at the big company level. Like everything else, that will continue to trickle down as the cost comes down, as the as packages become more and more uh, discreet. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Well, you know, our last question we had on here is about uh, labor returning and attra- retaining and attracting labor. And I honestly don't think we need to go in depth on this one, really. Because I think we talked about we've, it, right? Yeah. We've, we've kind of hammered <laughs> this in all it's, along the way. It's the 800 pound gorilla in the room. <laughs> exactly. So I'm just going to quickly throw out some of the stats related to that, and then we can move on to our, our VAR value here in a moment. But in the uh, survey, it did note the biggest labor challenges, according to decision makers, 55% said attracting qualified workers, mm-hmm. 54% said training type takes two long yep. and 45 percent said keeping associates happy and fulfilled so yeah, right again we referenced that many times throughout this discussion that all this stuff we're doing here is going to be very much about not just you know making the warehouses better and more efficient and faster mm-hmm. and more money you know out the door but keeping those workers happy and satisfied getting quality workers that you can bring in because you can pitch them on the technology that you're using. Because we, I think we've talked oh, yeah. about this before. A lot of these warehouse workers, they tend to jump from like place to place. You yes, know? absolutely. They might work seasonally at one place, maybe yep. move over to another, yep. or they yep. spent some time working at one job, decided they didn't enjoy the working right. conditions there. Yep. But it's something they're good at and they know. Mm-hmm. So it's a natural fit for them to move. I know in this area where we live in, there's a lot of distribution around here. A lot mm-hmm. of folks jump from one distributor or one warehouse, warehouse to another. To the other one. Sure. Imagine that, you know, that's a, a powerful story to be able to tell to, to, to bring someone in and attract mm-hmm. talent from elsewhere by being able to say, hey, like, hey, I know over there you're busting your butt every day and yet still don't seem to really get anywhere. And, you know, it's not getting any better or more efficient. Come over here. We've got the automation and the technology. We got robots and drones and yeah, cobots. Exactly. And- <laughs> I would want to do that. I mean, of course. Of course. I'm out there doing it all by hand every day with no, you know, automation whatsoever. And some company said, hey, come over here. We can, you know, lighten your load a little bit and, you know, make it so your back's not broken every day. Sure, I would do that. Well, I think John hit the nail on the head because we're seeing it in our facility that, you know, those workers that are working, uh, you know, collaboratively with the automation or with the Mm -hmm. technology, there's a a higher investment in those people and and, and there's a higher value to what they're bringing to the table now. There you go. Gone are the more transitionary jobs. And and really, when you get a core group of people in your warehouse, you're going to want to retain them. Yeah. Uh, and 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 that's kind of the way the world's kind of mo- moving. 
There you go. So, yeah. All right. Well, in a moment, I want to let um, these guys tell you a little bit about where they think you as a supply chain, warehousing, VAR, whatever it might be. Some of the opportunities. Yeah, I can get out there Mm -hmm. and find some opportunities where they think you should start in preparing for the future. But first, as always, I want to thank our sponsors of the Tech Connect podcast. Big thanks to Zebra for sponsoring this particular episode, lending in these two fine folks to have this conversation. We appreciate their support of our pod and our Tech Connect program. Hey, if you like this show, wherever you are listening or watching right now, Drop us a line, give us a like, subscribe, recommend the podcast to someone else. There you, know, you go. Send this Absolutely. episode over to someone yes. and say, hey, this is a good listen. Uh, yep. You should take a listen to this. Recommend yeah. it. They subscribe also. Of course, we always want to hear from you. If you have ideas for the show, topics you want us to cover, if you want us to dig a little bit deeper into something that we discussed maybe a little peripherally today, mm-hmm. always happy to do that. But we need to know from you. So. In the show notes, you'll always find a link to drop us an idea for the podcast. Just in, sending one in will get you a Tech Connect podcast T-shirt, hey, even if we don't use it. But there you go. I'm going to be honest. At this point, I'm looking for good ideas. So That's right. <laughs> more than likely, if you have an interesting idea. 168 will, shows. Uh, we need uh, ideas. There I'll you be go. happy to yeah. take it, right? <laughs> right. And, of course, you can always reach out to us directly to give us your thoughts and ask questions at techconnect at bluestarinc.com. All right, let's wrap things up, starting with our VAR value section today. So as I mentioned, you know, I, I kind of want your guys' takeaway a little bit here on where you think that VARs should really be focusing their efforts right now to kind of move warehouse customers toward more automation if they're not there already or if there's opportunities there for them, and maybe how they should start planning for the future. Maybe give us just one or two good examples you think of what's something that a VAR could be doing right now after listening to this conversation. Andre, I'll let you start here. Yeah, so I thought uh, about that. So I think I mentioned it briefly, but um, most of the problems we're trying to solve in a warehouse setting are currently being solved one way or the other, most inefficiently or whatever. So this is fairly, it's, it's likely not net new. What would help, and I think that would be my first recommendation, is um, develop a a mathematical model that helps you justify changing the technology or invest in new technology, an ROI, return on investment calculator. The world has changed, cost of capital has increased, there no uh, labor isn't available. If you can do that um, for a customer and the customer can carry that to uh, their finance committee, uh, committee, that might actually uh, help. That would be the first one. And the second on the... Um, on the sensor side that I um, showed or talked about earlier, um, some of those products require a bit more explanation. Uh, they require a bundle. If you look into RFID, it requires a tag, likely a printer, a reader, maybe a fixed installation somewhere. Um, that is something, if, if you can come back with a smart bundle that that um, uh, allows a, a customer to just say, yep, that's exactly what I want. That would be helpful. And then I would look into customers that fall in in particular categories. There are new mandates out there, whether you're moving perishable food or whether you're moving um, pharmaceutical items. Uh, There are mandates for data capturing. RFID can help you doing that. And um, that's something that we see a lot of uh, companies interested in is uh, providing help with the retail mandates out there. Some of the largest retailers require a complete, completely visible inbound chain. So if you automate that data capturing, I think you, you'd be on the, on the safe side there. So my recommendation would be help the customers 
um, provide that kind of visibility and then give provide them with a bundle that, that could uh, pull the trigger. Nice. Yeah. John, what about you? What are some recommendations you have for VARs right now? Um, certainly the more, the more knowledge they acquire about this overall industry, the more valuable they, they will inevitably become to their clients. Um, I, I live by a book called The Challenger Sale, and, and it talks about the evolution of sales over the last 20 years. And it, it makes a strong case that in this day and age, uh, buyers are looking for people that bring information to them. Not all the time is that information specifically about a product that maybe is in my my bag. It might be somewhere else. But if I can help that, that customer understand his his problem better or a problem that he has, uh, that becomes the, the foundation to, to bring in all these other pieces. Um, I think the ROI piece is critical. Um, interestingly, I, people will ask me every now and then, who do we sell to? And they, they probably instinctively think that we're selling to the warehouse managers, directors of warehousing. We started the CFO. We started CFO on purpose because those are the guys that are looking for cost control. Those are the people that understand how systems impact the efficiencies of companies, whether it's in the warehouse or in the front side. Um, so I would encourage people you know, to, to be able to have that financial conversation about this stuff. It's not just a technical bits and bytes conversation at all. Uh, in fact, that's secondary. The real value is how do we impact their bottom line how do we make a difference and how do we put them in a better position to compete? I think there's tons and tons of great technology out there and great partners. Zebra is one of them. Um, we resell Zebra. And having the right tool set in your bag is critical. And if if you have the right tools that you can bring together as a solution of some kind, um, then your odds go up versus ever selling just one point type of solution. That's it. There yeah. it is. Yeah. Yep. Partner right. assisted as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just go back quickly to what you guys mentioned. Both of you said earlier the idea that there's not going to be any one provider that's going to be able to no. do all of this. Yeah. I mean, we're big evangelists at Blue Star of the idea of partnerships, mm-hmm. relationships, yep. Yep. developing your ecosystem. This all just blends right into that. So I, that's that, it. that would be my takeaway is go out there and get some partners. Yeah. Start right. having these discussions about who can help you help your customers mm-hmm. get where they need to go at the end of the day here. Challenger sales model. Hey, yeah. I say we've, yeah. we've talked we've about that. that. Yep. We had a yep. three part series about that a few, <laughs> like a couple years back. Yeah. Wow. We're big fans. We're big fans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Hey, let's wrap things up as always with what's tech connecting with you. This is where we get to chat about uh, yes. something in the world of tech, innovation, science discoveries, just something we just feel like talking about today. John, I'll let you kick it off here. What's tech connecting with you right now? I'll be honest. Everything that goes through my head is about this stuff. <laughs> That's fair okay. Enough. Yeah. Uh, fair There's enough. So many opportunities, you know, and 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 I find it fascinating. I I think the robotics is is one of the biggest areas right now uh, where where people should be investing their time and effort. It, it's it's here. It's going to stay. And personally, I think it adds a lot of excitement to our world. I think it creates opportunities for us to do things for customers that we couldn't have even imagined. And if we continue to find ways to bring the BI in, the core software capabilities, the, the um, IoT stuff, uh, it all it all forms a really, really nice house, a really, really nice uh, building for us to play in. And and I think make, make life better for people and make 
you know, success easier or more easily attained for companies. There you go. Very nice. Uh, all right, Andre, what about you? What's Tech Connect with you right now? I will do you a favor and I will not mention generative AI. <laughs> um, Thank you. You're the, you're the first enough. in probably a couple months that has yeah. it. Yeah. I was about to say there's very hardly a conversation in the fall of 2023 where this doesn't come up. Um, but I, I personally, it, it will play a role, there's no doubt. But I um, generate, I mean, traditional AI, yes. Generative AI, as in generating something that new, um, is, is probably uh, still a couple of years out. What fascinates me currently is um, what is called spatial computing, as in um, the technology that gives you an augmented reality picture, but it gives that to you on a screen that you hold in your hand with an enabled device. So imagine you hold a, um, a mobile device up, uh, let's say at a, a shelf of... Um, items in a supermarket, and it highlights exactly the one you're looking for. What that could do to finding things back, what that could do to, in real time, what that could do to uh, your, your search costs, your search time, uh, inventory accuracy. And, and so that is something really exciting, at least something uh, really exciting to me. Um, I personally think you don't have to wear something on your head, not a hands-up display or any of those kind of things, but just looking, imagine you're holding your your uh, your mobile device up onto a shelf in a, in a warehouse and it's telling, or on a uh, pallet and it tells you exactly what carton you need to pick or what case has that one item that you're looking for. I could use that for my uh, closet. Absolutely. <laughs> I was just about to go there. Where are the car keys, darn it? Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's something that has me excited. Um, we, we're looking into that um, internally as well. Still a couple of, a um, little bit out, out in terms of turning this into something um, uh, of a product, but that is something that I'm really excited about. So spatial computing. That's cool. And I very much appreciate the not having to wear headgear for it because that's where I right. dig my heels in. Yeah. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm not a fan of putting anything on over my glasses or attaching that kind of stuff. You're, so. you're not a fan of the metaverse then, dude. No, I, mean, I guess know, I'm not. Your yeah. kids are just going to eclipse you Probably. and have to live that'll, in that world. That'll yeah. be what finally ages me out of technology. Huh? Could be, could be, could All right, be. What about you, Dean? What's technology? So are you looking do? for creative ways to deliver goods? Well, you know, well, you know I mean, like the last mile, we're, uh, we're kind of in that industry, right? Yeah. Well, how about adding an airship or a blimp to your logistics uh, mix? Okay. What about that? We didn't get into blimps today. I don't but think maybe we should have talked about it. I don't think that was it. really in the warehousing study, but okay. Well, yeah. Google's co-founder, Sergey Brin, he has an airship company called LTA Research, and they have received the FAAA clearance to do test flights now meant for cargo and humanitarian aid transport. Wow. So if you live in the, I guess, the Bay Area, it is not unlikely that you're going to see this airship, and we're talking like Zeppelin size, right? Like 400 right, right. feet wide or long. Uh, ships that are going to start doing test runs around there, uh, ultimately with the goal of getting these approved and then start using them to deliver, again, goods. Now, the whole idea here is, you know, they're trying to deliver 
needed products to very remote right, areas. Right. And I guess instead of sending a fleet of drones to do that, you send a big old airship out there. And so, do I that. mean, so, but I assume like a drone is coming down out of the airship. And I don't know. Them, they right? didn't have that all. They have the, you know, you go to their website, they've got the ship. The, you know, it's just this gorgeous, huge thing. And they've, they've tackled all those, you know, Hindenburg issues yeah, yeah. <laughs> around, you know, the whole blowing up or, thing yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. They're using yeah. non flammable helium, those types of things, which wasn't, I did, wasn't didn't Amazon even know do this a few years back like weren't they doing the whole flying so. warehouse at so. one point yeah kind of you yeah. know they kind of petered idea. out yeah. yeah yeah wasn't right john or do you guys know amazon was going to test airships and well, blimps? I, i'm pretty sure you're right i think amazon was was looking at that as a technology yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. well anyway they got some money behind it and then when it's, this thing's finally done it's actually going to be docked up in akron ohio um because goodyear's got that you know they've got their airships up right, there so right. anyway hey if you live in the in the san francisco area you might start seeing these guys i, I always think it's funny how much stuff like in the, i mean obviously san francisco is a big help you know for technology but right i'm always amused by like it, it, it do you live in san francisco sometimes and maybe just think to yourself like i'm tired of all this crazy <laughs> new technology automatic cars driving around yeah, clogging exactly. up our streets <laughs> like, airships in the air i wonder if it gets old after a while yeah, really? just like yeah. all right just knock it off try it somewhere else please so <laughs> Anyway, what's that connecting with you? All right, Dean, are you a guy that likes to hit snooze at the beginning of your uh, day? I do hit snooze once. Yeah. Yes. I'm typically a once or twice. Lately, I feel myself doing twice a little oh more boy. often than yeah. not. Okay. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of people, I think, sometimes have this perception that you know, hitting snooze is not a good thing. You right. Know, like you, should, yeah. you should just bounce out of bed as soon as your alarm goes off right. and be ready for the day. Yeah. Well, apparently, a research study done by some Swedish researchers with over 1,700 adults found that it's basically okay to hit snooze and doesn't really make any n- big difference at all. Okay. Whether you are a snoozer or a get up immediately other than I guess, you know, the time. Thank taking. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. See? Now I, we don't feel so bad. Exactly. I, but now I'm like, I don't need to feel I'm, about this. I'm a three or four guy, man. There, there you go. go. There you go. I'll get that thing until I'm ready to get up. There you go. <laughs> Well, according to this survey, 69% of people snooze at least sometimes. For some, multiple snoozes over 30 minutes actually could spark alertness more quickly even. Oh. Not a massive difference, but snoozers apparently were. They also know that snoozers are more likely to be a little bit younger and four times likelier to be night owls, describe themselves as night owls. Yes, right. I think I would probably qualify for that. Oh, are you? Yeah, yeah. I usually don't go to bed until after 11 o'clock. I got you. Typically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But it did note that those that did the snoozing, if they did it, you know, a multiple multiple times over the course of 30 minutes when they woke up they were given cognitive tests versus folks that just were immediately getting up the first alarm. right and they're the sharper fo- the folks that snooze for at least the first 40 minutes after wake finally waking Holy up moly, were slight had a slight advantage on cognitive tests not massive uh, see john's smarter than <laughs> we are go. because he's snoozing four times when he wakes up he's a little more ready to damn go damn it now so, we know why so there he goes <laughs> so next- I'm the night owl. I'm, I'm definitely a night owl. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. John's like, hey, I'm in bed early, and I'm also snoozing it for a while, too. That's but right. apparently not a bad thing. And basically the idea behind it was that because you're not really following back into a really, a really, really deep, deep sleep, sleep yeah, right. you're just a kind of a light-level sleep. Yeah. You're getting a little extra sleep. You're slow, make, kind of slowly moving towards waking up yeah, yeah. so that when you finally do, your brain's a little more ready to go at that All point. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. So don't hesitate to do that. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's go that's ahead, my, hit the snooze. Uh, it's no big deal. I'll, You'll actually be smarter. Yeah, I'll tell my wife that the next time she's basically ready to leave, and I'm just getting up to start, you know, uh-huh. getting my day uh, yeah. underway. Good luck so, with that yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. For sure. All right, that's what's checking back with us, and it is time for us to unplug for the day. Yes. Andre Luke, John Claire, thank you guys so much thank for you joining guys. us on the pod today. We appreciate having you. you. Uh, until next time, like I said, hit that snooze button, and then when you wake up, go out and sell some automation to your warehouse. There customers. it is. Right. As always, folks, please stay connected. Technic Podcast is brought to you by Zebra. All right, Blue Star, we went out and, uh, and surveyed 100 retail and supply chain executives. Yes, we did. This was a, a, a sponsored by, by Zebra yes. and Newcastle. We did that so you don't have to. There you go. I mean... I'm what? sure you'd love to what? hear what you need the information, but yeah. are you really going to reach out into 100? No, exactly. No. You know, because trust me, there's a lot of hangups that happen along go. the way when you reach out <laughs> yeah. to that many people. Now, what we were doing is we were asking about the returns process and technology, and we are sharing or have shared the results with you. In this latest Blue Star Nation article sponsored by Zebra and Newcastle, as I mentioned, we wanted to understand what works and doesn't in their reverse logistic operations, what technology they currently deploy, and where loss typically occurs. We need the real-world information, right? We do. Here's some of the we stuff we learned. It. What percentage of returned items go missing? How often do they use barcode scanners, RFID, label printers, and carts? What IT infrastructure is critical to the returns management process? Where do they see opportunities to improve, which could be opportunities mm, for you yep. as a reseller, there right? There you go. You can find out all of those answers and more at nation.bluestarinc.com or find the direct links to this, this article in our show notes. Technic Podcast is also brought to you by Evo. All right, Dean, kiosks, they're pretty much everywhere. Right? Everywhere. Getting they're inside. Yep. They're yep. outside. Yes. But on the outside part, how do you ensure that those outdoor deployments are safe and usable in all conditions? Really good I mean, question. You don't want to stick a machine outside and then, like, <laughs> you know, we just had, like, snow and extreme cold yes. temperatures last night here yes. in the tri-state area. Yeah. You know, you don't want something malfunctioning no. out of that. No. sparks flying off it and stuff like that. You there can't you have that happening. Well, Elo has the answer with their outdoor open frame monitor. Elo's 27-inch outdoor monitor boasting 1,500 its brightness mm. and IK10 vandal proof rating. Nice. Ensures 24-7 performance even in direct sunlight. Readable with polarized glasses, it thrives in extended temperatures. Mm. So it's ideal for payment systems, signage, and charging stations. It's a brilliant, optically bonded, weatherproof monitor that features edge-to-edge glass for seamless outdoor enclosure integration. There you go. To provide unmitigated performance from day to night, the ambient light sensor automatically adjusts the display's ah. brightness to optimize power consumption, extend the display's life and enhance the viewing So it's experience. a smart display is what it's you're saying. It's smart, it's yeah. rugged, it can handle it all. There you go. Throw it outside and just see what happens. With flexible installation options, through touch-through PCAP functionality, and compatibility with Elo's backpack compute engine, the 2799 Open Frame Monitor is the perfect display for your next outdoor kiosk solution. Check the link in the show notes for more information or contact your Blue Star Elo representative.